Cold Storage is a podcast where each episode we pick a different story from the long history of comics and dissect and review it for your listening euphoria. Join us as we stumble our way through some of the most important storylines mixed with some of our favorites. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back, guys. This is Spencer, your hostess with the mostest. And Callie, your hostess with the leastest. The hostess with the grossest. That's right. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, uh, thanks for joining us again. Um, for those of you that have listened to our first couple episodes, um, we appreciate it. And uh, we will take your money. Yes. Uh, so, go if you go to patreon.com and vote for us to be the next legislative. <laughs> vote for us to be the patrons. <laughs> patrons. <laughs> uh, you can become patriated, and that's what we're looking to do. Yep. Um, it's like a site for Patriots, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yep. So. Right wing. <laughs> yeah, right wing pa- Patriots. And we're hoping to be able to become that. That's the best way to be, right? Yep. Yep. But you can't have a right wing without a left wing. That was poetic. How else are we going to fly? That's so beautiful. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Put on some plaques and sell it on t-shirts. So, um, yeah, we uh, got a good book for you uh, today. This is one of... Me and Callie's favorite creators. Darwin Cook. Yeah, dead. Yeah, it's sad, sad. right? Yes. Yeah. I think it's actually, uh, I think he passed away um, a year ago today. today or something like that. Oh, he didn't. Yeah, he dude, has. It was at least two years ago, dude. Two years ago today. I'll, I'll accept. It was something I'll like that. that. It was for sure two years ago at least. Okay. Well, my, three. my Instagram tells me it's a memorial for Darwin Cook. Mm, oh, okay, so you just believe whatever Instagram tells you. I believe whatever the internet tells me. Okay, alright, <laughs> Um, Yeah, no, it's sad. We lost such a good creator. So talented. Talented mofo, right? Oh, yeah, he was very talented. Um, I regret that I never got to meet him. And uh, just, uh, you know, to be uh, honest, um, when I heard of his passing um, two years ago, yeah, like you said, um, it was actually one of the the only people that I never knew that I actually got emotional about them dying. And I know that sounds weird, um, but the impact that he made on me um, through reading comics and um, just uh, who he was, it kind of made me emotional when I found out he died. And uh, I usually don't get emotional about people dying in the first place, but for someone I don't know. And then just to realize that like I'll never see new stuff from him. You know that I think that was one of the biggest things too is that he he won't make any new production. Right. You know he won't produce anything new. But you'll still see stuff get released. Like he was still doing covers forever, dude. Like yeah. after he died, um, just because he'd had a bunch of them around. Right. I was listening to an interview with him recently, and he said he was working on a fifth Parker book um, at the time of the interview. So I'm wondering if he has some Parker stuff that um, they might release. He's just sitting around, yeah. And then maybe they could get somebody else to finish or something. That would be sweet, right? It would be cool, yeah. Um, so you've been reading anything else uh, this week? And I haven't been reading your homework assignment, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've been reading uh, a little bit of uh, Len Wein and... Uh, uh, you know, that one guy, <laughs> Swamp Thing. <laughs> We're the ones tonight that feel like we can talk to you about comic books, even though, <laughs> even though I don't know we don't know who Swamp Thing is. So, Len Wein and, uh, yeah, the guy that drew Frankenstein really good. <laughs> Bernie Wrightson. Uh-huh. So, um, I've been reading uh, through their Swamp Thing. Um, I also read some of that um, Galactus trilogy that's in that Galactus size book that I got. Um, and then since our last recording, I did a presentation on comics at a high school. Oh yeah. How'd that go? It went really well. And, uh, they correlated a lot. Like we talked about, they correlated a lot with, uh, superheroes being the films. And they actually asked me what I thought about the films and I gave them my true answer. And, um, you know, it, it was cool though, to see some of these kids like kind of open their eyes to some subjects that like they had no idea about. Um, and then some kids focused on the dumbest stuff, like, um, when Joe Quesada took over Marvel, 
uh, and he like said they couldn't have smoking in the comic anymore in comics anymore in at Marvel. Um, then this kid was like, "What about alcohol? <laughs> Why is yeah. that dumb?" <laughs> Because Tony Stark's an alcoholic, dude. And I'm like, dude, you're... And cigarettes are way more accessible. Well, I felt like they're more accessible. Maybe they're not. Hmm. Depends on how, how hard you shoulder tap, I guess. That could be. Anyway, yeah, anyway, it was it was good. It was cool to see. Uh, and it, it was weird to also note, like, what kids nowadays don't know about comics yeah. and characters. Like, even stuff that you'd think that, like, someone would know, they had no idea. You know, unless it was, like, Spider-Man or X-Men. Like, like what, for example? Uh, for example, the Shadow, right? Like, uh, you know, the old uh, radio show, The Shadow Knows. So, so right? you're surprised that these kids don't know the old 1950s radio show? Well, what's yes, in a way, because here's the thing: is Batman is kind of like the shadow of the com- of comic books, but the Shadow also exists in comics. So you'd think that like these kids that that are taking a class about comics would kind of know some history of like where these characters come from. But then again, like, I mean, why are they going to the class to maybe to learn, you know? So, or maybe they thought it was going to be more about the movies. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yep. Or maybe they love agent Coulson so much that exactly. they needed to learn his backstory. Yeah. And there was that whole like, um, aspect of, you know, cause I, I covered a little bit of Jim Steranko, um, another one of my favorites and, uh, oh. talked, talked about, uh, Nick Fury. Dude, so you brought race into it, huh? And so... Um, did you say it was really messed up that he's black now? No, I didn't say that. Okay, wow, dude. You held back from what you put uh, in yeah, the Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, so, anyway, yeah, they, they were just surprised that Nick Fury was a white guy to begin with. You know, because they didn't... Again, did you what they were exposed to, about, to. Did you talk to him about Michael Jackson? Did you say that <laughs> it went the other way? <laughs> yeah, I bet they would be surprised about that, too. <laughs> Nick Fury became black, and and Michael Jackson started out black. <laughs> He's like the reverse Nick Fury, dude. Exactly. <laughs> Except he has both eyes. That we... <laughs> yeah, that's true. <coughs> if Michael... Jeez, you okay there, bud? Happy pause. All right. <coughs> okay, sorry. I don't know how to pause this, so you guys get to hear my cost. Anyway, uh, you know who Michael Jackson would have been speaking of Marvel movies? Who he would have been good to play? Um, no. Star Lord, dude. Oh yeah, oh yeah, he would have, huh? He would have been a sweet Star Lord, right? Neo, dude. Yeah, Captain EO. Yeah, that's what I said. You said Captain Neo. I said Captain EO. Captain. (laughs) Yeah, dude. No, he would have been good. No, actually, I saw there was somebody made this like, uh, made these old school posters uh, of new movies, casting them with like older actors, and he cast Michael Jackson as Star Lord. On his poster, and I thought that would be sweet, dude. That would be sweet. That'd be actually a really cool idea. Yeah, and then he'd be off Earth and wouldn't be able to touch kids anymore. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> so send him up when he is a kid, and then he doesn't ever have to touch little boys. Get, yeah, and he could name his ship Neverland. Oh yeah, that would have been a good one. And then um, Drax would be Coco or Bubbles, his monkey. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Or no, he would have a raccoon instead of a monkey, right? Probably because it's black and white. Well, because uh, Rocket Raccoon, he's playing Star Lord. Oh, so, yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Don't talk about Rocket. <laughs> yeah, it's still a source of. <laughs> no, <subject>. you're right. <laughs> okay, so anyway, um, all right, I think we've gone far enough. Let's get into our book. All right. Beep. Oh, <laughs> dude, I'm serious. I'm telling you, Slayground sucks. Slayground dude. does not suck. It's 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 the best of the four Parker books, followed by the score, which we're gonna cover right now, and um, then the other ones, the outfit and the come on you and can do uh, Parker. Is it just called Parker? No, Hunter. Hunter. Thank you, the Hunter. Yeah. Um. So yeah, me and Kelly, dude, we usually agree on stuff. I mean, we definitely both agree on Darwin Cook, and I'd be fine if you were slightly off. But you picked the worst book as the best one. No, Slayground is so fun. Think like, dude, he's in a, an amusement park that's abandoned, and he's like killing dudes. So it is. Yeah, exactly. So I think Jaws four had the same <laughs> uh, the same plot. When you can't think of anything more to write, you put him in like some insane place like Disneyland. <laughs> Like, that's my problem with that, is it's like, it's such a gimmick, dude. It's so gimmicky. It's gimmicky, but it's a fun gimmick. Like, dude, he electrocutes, I already brought this up, but he electrocutes a dude 
in the bumper boats and it's like freezing cold icy and like he's just using all these different things in the amusement park to help him kill these dudes so good and then he's surrounded you know like at the gate oh man like he goes into basically a pirates of the caribbean ride and like hides in there dude yeah and like the boats come by and he's like "Mm," moving like a robot like (laughs) are yo ho like it's basically short of that happening that's what that book is it's like he's like oh my gosh i've written parker robbing banks how many times can he rob a bank dude and goes wrong where else can he rob? Well, he can't rob Disneyland, but maybe he could hide out there. And, oh, dude. It's it, so good. And he's just like, yeah, that's like the last thing on your list you check, dude. It's like, well, like throw him in Disneyland. Gosh. Well, then how come it wasn't the last book? What's that? It was the third in the series. Is it the third in Richard Stark's series? I don't know. But Darwin Cook put him out that order. I'm going to take yeah, Darwin Cook's <laughs> order. Darwin Cook didn't write these books. You do know that none of these words he are his, right? He adapted them. Yes, I know. But I, I'm saying, do you think Darwin Cook did his favorites? I'm sure he did. You would want to work with your favorites. Yeah, right. So, he's fit. One of his favorites is Slayground. He's dead, dude. So you can't say that. He can't. He's not he here to speak for himself. So. Yeah. Let's have. Let's do an Ouija board section real quick. <laughs> We should. No, we shouldn't. We're sorry, listeners. Um, it's funny to us, but you guys have already tuned out. So now we can do whatever. Yeah, let's just <laughs> let's slap each other's butts. <laughs> Into the mic. <laughs> um, <coughs> luckily for you, I know you couldn't tell, but we're not reviewing the Slaygrounds book. We're reviewing the score. Doom, doom, doom. Yes, the score is great. The score was uh, the third book the third book in the series yeah Slayground was the last one he did nope the the outfit is the last one it goes Hunter Slay or Score Slayground you're wrong dude you're wrong uh, I looked this up earlier dude okay what order are they in then it's the outfit the Hunter the Score and then Slayground I'm pretty sure Hunter is number one first one Hunter is first no, uh, that may be true, but uh, um, and then oh, you know what? It is Hunter Slayground score outfit. No, it's not. Yes, it Kelly. is. Kelly. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we'll be back. I'm sorry, I'm wrong. Okay, Spencer's <laughs> completely right. Well, not completely, because Hunter or Hunter was first, so. <laughs> At least I got that part right, but I am wrong in the other senses. Yes. So, Slayground, he did wait till the end because Darren Cook ran out of his favorites. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm probably completely wrong, and everybody probably loves that book. But And I actually, I still loved it. It's beautiful, and I love it more than most books. But out of the pirate, these books are my least favorite. I think we can move on to our review now. Let's move on to our review. Yes. The score. The third book in the series. Yes. Okay. 2012. Um, if For those uninitiated, um, Parker is a character created by Richard Stark, also known as Donald Westlake. Richard Stark was a pseudonym. Yes. Or was it or was the other one? Oh, it's yeah. No, it was. Somewhere. Richard Stark was a pseudonym. His real name was Donald Westlake. And he wrote uh, a whole bunch of books um, with this character, Parker, who's just a son of a bitch. And he doesn't care for anybody but himself. And he's he's a bad guy that uh, robs people. And uh, that's all most of his stories are about, is um, stealing stuff. Right? Yep. It's a, yeah, it's fun adventure, um, burglarizing, and uh, robbery. Um, so I do believe, like, if, if we set it up, I know that the the hunter is not part of like our review, but um, Parker, I do believe, did care about his wife at a time, and then she overdosed, and then um, he, I think, it kind of put him in a spiral where he decided to um, not give a crap anymore, and uh, here we are on yep. the third third book. But he <clears throat> is uh, so yeah. So there was a whole bunch of these books, and there was recurring characters in the Parker books. We're gonna see another one. Um, Alan Grofield, um, 
Same as Alan, right? Uh, anyway, yeah, Grofield. Um, he's in a lot of the Parker books, but also Donald Westlake wrote just straight up Alan Grofield books. Um, I read one of them called "The Lemons Don't Lie." Lemons don't lie, and it was a good one. Um, and Grofield, Grofield's kind of like the pretty boy, right? Like he's yeah, he's like a he's an artist. He's like a painter. So oh, they okay. in the books in the actual books they build that up quite a bit that he's like an artsy guy. Um, so, but he's basically the opposite completely of Parker. Um, but yeah, so, and there may be some of these, I, I haven't read most of Richard Stark's books. I read that one, uh, about, uh, Alan Grofield and I read one of the Parker books. I think I read Hunter. Um, and that was a long time ago. So some of these other characters might also be, um, recurring. I'm not hundred percent sure, but that Grofield is actually a big character, uh, in the Parker universe. They're um, also adapted into films, um, for instance, uh, Mel Gibson's Payback. Um, he's in that, and then there's a. I know there's another one, but I don't remember the name of it. Well, there's one called Parker. Oh, there's one called Parker. Jason okay. Statham is in it, and it's just called Parker. And so, uh, if you guys are uh, film fans, maybe you've seen the movies. If not, uh, check them out. Check check them out. Um, so, uh, Darwin Cook. Um, yeah, like we said, he pretty much just took. Um, these these books and adapted them into a graphic novel format um so uh let's get into it so um the cool thing about um all these books basically are heist style books um with a bunch of other action going on um lots of murder lots of um naughty sex stuff the the one thing i like about this this opening is um it shows what master Darwin Cook is of like uh, visual storytelling because there's no words for the first like eight pages or something. Actually, the first page has some words on it, but then it's the 15th page. No. Uh, oh, see. you're right. Yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. 16th page where the next uh, the next um, words come in. So, yeah. So, you have those middle 14 pages that don't have any words. And it's just uh, Parker just walking along the street and a guy tailing him. And then Parker eventually figures that out and then um, cold clocks the guy uh, at dead, straight up. Yep, punches him in the throat, kills he him. He punches him dead, dude. Yep. And then uh, there's a cool line about how he didn't have he didn't have any weapons on him, but he had his hands. Big to match his body or something like that. Yeah, dude, this page 16 is one of the coolest looking pages ever. So oh, yeah. this is where the words come back and it's just... Parker going after this dude who's got a knife, but the dude with the, with the knife, he's in the foreground, but he's just all silhouetted, and it's actually um, negative space. It's all white, and that's where the wording is, is inside of that guy's um, silhouette or his outline. And then, yeah, just Parker's, like, got uh, three-fourths of his face is shadowed in. You can barely see his, like, eyebrow and his eye. And, uh, yeah, he just looks super menacing, and this guy it looks like he's totally cowering, even though he's got the knife. Yep, and then he punches him right in the throat. So good. So this art style that um, he uses in this is really an awesome art style. So it's printed in color, but sometimes you forget that because the fact that it's printed in basically there's black ink on the page, and in this particular book there's orange ink, and that's that's it. And it's printed on cream paper, and I love I love how it looks together. So he's done some other ones. Uh, one of his other books was done with like a light blue kind of color um another one was done with uh, like some sort of reddish purplish color I, I it's been a while since i looked at them but um but yeah he always uses just one accent color with the the accent color does like all the it's used for he uses it so good i mean i have to get some art talk in here for a second but he uses the the one color um he uses it as as shading but then he'll also use it if you look on page 19 He'll use it as actual outlines on on nineteen. Like if you look at there's this girl, a beautiful female figure on the beach, and you see the black lines that were like the regular ink, but then her hair doesn't have any black lines on it at all, and and it's just her hair is just drawn in there with that orange accent color, and yeah. and it looks it looks amazing. He did the clouds the same way, so so he uses like the accent color for shading, but then he also uses it to straight up draw. Um, later towards the end, there's this gigantic explosion. Um, that page is probably my favorite. Yeah. Book. 
on page 112 and 113. It's the only two-page spread in the book, I think. Oh, no, I think there's a couple others. Um, maybe when they show the map or something. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's a two-page spread, and it's just a, this huge explosion. And the way to make it look like it's super bright on fire, he doesn't have any black lines in this. It's just the entire two pages was drawn completely just in that accent color. And it's not like he didn't do any outlines. So it's not like he drew the outlines with the accent color. He just drew in the shadows. And it looks so, it looks amazing, dude. It's beautiful artwork. And the fact that he was able to do this, like, just without any black outline is just amazing. Like, he basically did this whole page just in the coloring process, which is, and not Insane. the inking process, which is so cool. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the way he uses this, just this one color is just amazing. He can do so many things with it. There's... Other times where Parker is or somebody else is smoking and the whole background behind them will be colored in this orange color except for where the smoke would be coming up out of the cigarette. That part he didn't color in of the background. And so he basically makes the smoke. Uh, just one other thing on the art style. Um, he doesn't use uh, panel borders, which is really interesting. So it, um, there is the white in between. There's like the space in between the panels. But yeah, most... In fact, every other comic I've ever read, they outline the the square panels, or rectangular panels, in black, and they don't have this on this at all. And I think that's a really cool way to do it. It like bleeds into it, which is really cool. Some panels like just bleed right into the the page. Um, a couple of things to note as well is um, he. It looks like he hand lettered the whole thing, yeah. which is incredible. Like, I mean, what a task to undertake. Uh, the production of this book is uh is beautiful i mean the the paper quality um also his art style really um sets the tone for this uh time of in the earth's history the 50s if you will um his his artwork in a bunch of other stuff as well really uh plays to that time an era of of our history um being that it takes place in the 50s and 60s uh it's you, so his his artwork really lends uh really well to a story that would be written in this time frame and yeah and uh yeah for sure it does but the cool thing about darren cook is if, if you look at his art books he doesn't have one style so that's what's so amazing about him is this this style of his for sure does and so does like new frontier but then i've seen him do like Jonah Hex, which doesn't feel 1950s, you know, it's like, right. it's really cool. Um, okay, so, I mean, basically, I guess we've got to warn you, we're going to pretty much just be telling you the story of this book, so um, you can tune out now if you don't want it spoiled for you. Um, but if you've read it in the past and you want a reminder or you don't care about spoilers, um, stick with us. So, um, basically... Uh, you find out after he's knocked that guy out that he's he's got a job planned, right? And he says, you know, something doesn't feel right. Um, I've got to get out of this job because I'm being tailed right before this job is supposed to go off. Right, and uh, he finds out from one of his friends that meets him at the place they're they're meeting at, they're meeting out. Uh, Paulus uh, meets with him, and Paulus admits like that the guy that's hiring them um, to do the job sent the guy to follow him because he doesn't necessarily trust Parker. Even though he knows he's the best, he still uh, Parker keeps calling him an amateur because the guy doesn't know really what he's doing, and so um, yeah. Parker doesn't trust him uh, from the beginning. Yeah. So and he he just doesn't know him, and you don't want when you're pulling a heist, you don't want changes like that happening um, right before you know, or like stuff you don't know about right before the thing's about to go off. Um, but basically, um, he finds out a couple of things that the score is going to be really big and that um, a couple of his um, people that he know uh, have already signed on. For example, uh, Alan Grofield and uh, Wixa, another guy named Wixa. Um, and, he, and, you know, he, I think he feels safer knowing that those guys um, were part of it. So he convinces him to at least hear him out, hear the pitch for the score. So uh, once they go in uh, and they hear the pitch, so they're around this table and they like have this map of the city and they kind of explain like how it's going to go down. Um, there's uh, a bunch of safes they want to hit at the same time. 
and uh, how how many guys it's going to take. I think he says like two dozen to 30 people. And Parker's like, you're crazy. There's no way we're going to pull this off because it's way too big of a thing. Um, but this guy, uh, I forgot his name again all of a sudden. Um, Edgar's, yeah, he's like, no, we can do it. You're the best. That's why we need you. Um, yeah, so, so to elaborate on what Kelly was saying, this... So you've seen heist films. They usually pick out a bank or someplace or like, or, you know, the, the, a single place that they can rob. But the plan on this time is literally to rob a town. Like anything that has money in that town, they're going to rob. So there's a mine payroll. There's a bank, a jeweler, a jeweler, department stores, um, a couple of other things, I think. So, um, so they're going to r- literally rob this whole town. They have the benefit that this town the way it's built is it's set inside of like um, just cliffs, basically, and there's only one way in in and out of the town, and so um, they can have some people watch the only entrance into the town, um, so that they know if things are about to get crazy. So their their decision is to tie up the security guards, um, lock down the police, and then uh, heist everything that's in the town. Yeah, well, and there are other things too. They gotta take out the radio station. They gotta oh, yeah, that's right. prevent the firefighters yeah. um, from coming out. So it's super elaborate. Like they have to. Um, there's uh, all the jewelry stores have one single alarm, in, or not all the jewelry stores. All of the stores, uh, department stores, jewelry stores, banks, whatever, have one single uh, alarm in the police station, and they know that if they can disable that one alarm. That they'll, that they'll be good too so um yeah so um they uh are starting to get ready they got 12 they got tw- end up getting 12 guys right right um and one thing that's interesting is like parker he was out of this but then he he wasn't going to take this job but then he saw that, that you know it was just such a big job and challenging and stuff and he keeps calling it science fiction he says this is yeah like, this is science fiction happen. yeah yeah and I think that's cool. That's like such an old school thing to like call something, you know, like some people might say fairy tale or whatever, but he keeps calling it this science, is science fiction. fiction. Yeah. yeah. So one other cool thing, uh, Pop Phillips looks just like Jim Stranko. I think that's pretty fascinating. There he is, dude. Kelly, are you serious? You didn't know about? <laughs> I didn't this? read the back of it. No, I didn't read the very back. So. <laughs> Um, there's, you're about to meet, no, uh, no, eight characters, okay? So, hey, dude. Oh, dude, so, I didn't even know that was in the this, back of this. Dude. dude, that's freaking awesome. So, let's tell them what's awesome. Okay, so in the back, um, Darwin Cook says a special thanks to these people, and he drew them in the likeness. When, when, you, when you're talking about them, you're talking about the people that they end up recruiting, um, for their heist. Correct, yes, yeah, sorry, I should elaborate more. Uh, so, uh... So, Pop Phillips is James Phillips Steranko, uh, Phil Wiss Noto, Jimmy Palm Palmiotti, Frank Elkins Teary, Dave Chambers Johnson, Michael Cho Cho, and Callum Johnston. I don't know how to say his name. Wiss I don't know. Wixa? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Um. Anyway. Yeah, so yeah, he patterned the look off of these characters with the uh, um with reality. Yeah. And in fact, forever um like on Instagram, Michael Cho had this picture of him with the word Cho underneath it as his avatar. Oh, that's so I, beautiful. And, and forever I thought that Michael Cho did it um until I went through and reread this. I'm like, "Oh, dude, that's where it's at." Yeah. Um and yeah, you can actually tell Michael Cho is a big Darwin Cook uh like heavily inspired by Darwin Cook, so it makes sense to me because um, their styles are quite similar. In yes, fact, they are. in fact, Cho lately when he does his sketches, he does them in this exact style of how Parker is. He'll do it with just you know black inks for the outlines, and then he'll pick one color to do all the other like shading and stuff with, just similar to how this is done. So, yeah. But that's funny you picked up on it without knowing that it was actually was Stranko. Yeah, I just saw his face. I'm like, dude, that looks just like Jim Stranko. Why why is there all these, like, why keep thinking about Jim Stranko? And there it is. Like, it really is Jim Stranko. I'm like, what the? That's awesome. That's pretty funny. Oh, yeah, you could tell Michael Cho right here. He's like, there's a perfect image of him. Yep. So, um, basically, they meet up uh, with all these guys. um, And then they decide that they're in. 
Uh, Parker lays down. He's a he's a complete pro at this, dude. So he's he's got all these rules laid out for him, and he you know he basically tells them how they're going to do it. So and then they uh, decide to go uh, scout out the town. They kind of walk around and uh, like watch people and kind of uh, draw maps, get timelines of things. You know, like a normal heist you would do, um, like tracking kind of like people's shifts and stuff. Yeah, so they have to yep get set up. So they also have to um, buy a bunch of guns and other um, things. Uh, so they have to get money to get started. And so they go and stop by the doctor. Um, so Parker and Grofield go by the doctor and um, the doctor gives them $4,000 as basically an investment. Um, to get this, the, the idea behind this is that they're going to get about $250,000 in, you know, 1950s money. Um, so, so yeah, paying 4,000 up front is obviously an investment and then, uh, well for them and for the doctor, cause he'll get whatever, one of the cuts. So, uh, so yep, they, they do those things and that, uh, that, um, whole thing, uh, where they're in the doctor's office is pretty funny because. Um, Grofield just keeps talking about pretending to have back pain. I don't know exactly what the joke is there, but they say it like three times during their doctor visit and the doctor just gets like annoyed at him. But the, but I love that it's like, it's Grofield and Parker together because Parker wouldn't put up with that shit from anybody else basically. But the Alan Grofield, he's puts up with his like, uh, shenanigans and, uh, Jack Cassery. And so I think that that's, I, I like their relationship quite a bit because he, Parker shouldn't respect Alan Grofield. And, and again, I'm not, uh, super, um, into the books. I'd love to read them, but I haven't read many of them. So I, I don't know the full relationship, but what I get here is that, um, he respects Grofield, um, and basically puts up with stuff for him that he wouldn't probably put up because he's not like, a uh, fun guy probably to be around Parker. Well, he looks kind of grumpy too. He's just like, he's annoyed, but like he puts up with it anyway. Whereas uh, somebody else, he'd like probably beat the shit out of him. Right. Yeah. It's probably like, um, like Batman and like the flash or something or, or like, uh, or Robin for that matter. He puts up with Robin, but he yeah. doesn't want to. So, so yeah. after the doctor's office, they, um, and they're in the town, they they visit a hobby shop and pick up their. Uh, so the hobby in the hobby shop, there's a gun dealer um, who's blind, but he um, he basically uh, stores guns and stuff in like these model boat uh, and model car boxes, so they can pick them up without being suspicious. Um, so Parker goes to the back and uh, pisses the blind man off pretty bad. Like he's like. He walks out. Uh, he pays the lady up at the counter, but like the blind man doesn't know that he got paid, and so he's just like yelling at Parker as Parker leaves. Um, then they decide to uh, drive up to uh, the town. So with a um, car full of guns. Yeah, so they have a couple sheds actually out right outside of town, um, up on top of the cliffs actually, um, that the town sits below. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, um, as some of the people are driving up there, um, uh, Parker goes to talk to Edgar's and meets, um, Edgar has like a girlfriend there named Jean, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you can tell something's going on there. She's super flirtatious. She wants to basically, um, have SEX with him. Yeah. But Parker's not having it. Because when he's getting ready for a job, he doesn't do that stuff. Right. It's only after the job's complete is he when he sleeps with women. Yeah. He won't do it during because it like uh, ch like messes with his mind too much. Yeah. So he's like, nope, not during a job, but after the job, I'll I'll pound it. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it should be said that they were alone that Edgar's had left at this point. Um, but she's trying to get with him. He's not having it. She's getting frustrated sexually we can see it in her eyes uh -huh. oh yeah especially yeah. she comes out with a robe and oh yeah so um so yeah so at that point then they then they go up to their sheds um and he walks in and he sees all the dudes man this is the first time um they've really all been together and they're all getting ready to go talking about the heist and uh everybody's sweating it's yeah hot and so they're they're finalizing plans. Uh, they decided to get a big truck instead of um, a bunch of cars to haul all the money and stuff. 
um, and uh, they have a hard time getting it down there because it's like a really steep um, incline. Um, and then, boom, Thursday, April 23rd at 11.30 p.m., the night of the heist. So this is where it, it's all taking place, man. They're all loaded up into the back of this truck, and they're going to go into Copper Canyon, right? Yep, here they go. And it's cool because uh, they have like, and I don't know if this is, um, I don't know if they're actually dressed as military or if it's like a like kind of like him reminiscing of like so, World War Two or since something. Since I read it today, yes. and you didn't. I'll okay, tell you yes. okay. that this is him. And this is Grofield. So Grofield is the painter artist guy, and he's got a wild imagination. And it says Grofield heard background music. And he seemed he always is hearing background music, and he's picturing himself. Um, basically, uh, as a soldier, um, where, you know, they're trying to invade an en enemy town. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So this is just him because he's creative. He's one of those creative types. He's just, um, making this more fun. Like that's his process. Right. Okay. Cause he's like really into it. So if you look at Parker, Parker's just serious. <laughs> he, he can't do anything that's not already planned and Grofield, he's more, He's way more laid back, actually. Yeah. He's he's completely like cool through the entire thing, actually, and uh, and so yeah, because <laughs> he's completely cool, he he's you know doing all these picturing, and it's really cool just the way the art's done because it'll overlay, um, or, or you'll see one panel of him in the military, and then you'll see the next panel that's set up exactly the same, but it's the actual heist going on. Police cruiser drives by. Then they they get in. Um, and then they find three cops, um, and so, you know, there's, uh, seven of them, uh, that just come in with machine guns to three cops. So like, it's like the easiest way to take, they just took over the town right there basically because they've got all the cops except for one. And the one cop he's out driving and they, they get one of the, uh, guys, the local, the ones that that's at the station to call the other cop back in. So now they have, uh, now they have all of them. And so now they, they've got that done. They don't need to worry about that anymore. One guy stays with his gun. That's, yeah. that's the plan with all these places. They go to all these places, and then they leave one guy there to watch it. So they can break in the safe. Yep. Um, so uh, then it's still a lot of this is Grofield talking this, um, this chapter. Um, but Grofield talks about how much he loves um, working with Parker. And he knows um, he knows Parker's rules. So th this one's really it's like really interesting the way Parker does this. So it tells you um, uh, it tells you number one he terrifies them speechless. So and you can see that they actually do this on all of them. So they walk in with guns, you know, seven six dudes with guns pointed at them. Then you group them together, um, and then he he says you personalize the moment, and then it shows him. Every time he goes in there, he asks what the first names are of the people that are there to like, almost like trick them to act like you know he cares about them. They they were unfortunate bystanders, and he explains that he's like, I'm sorry, we we don't want to kill you. That you just you know, just shut up and we won't do anything basically. So like, he almost comes off as like caring, which is kind of cool the way the way they call them by their first names. Yeah. And then he says, number four, you give them a minute to grasp. Uh, to absorb and grasp the situation. So he, like, he knows the, the entire psychology of, like, heist. And Grofield even picked, says on the next page, he says, Parker, before a job, he you think he was just a silent, like, um, heavy, about as subtle as a gorilla guy. Um, just pissed all the time. Then it says, but on the job, dealing with any people that might be in the way, he was all psychology. And it says right there, he's like, I'm sorry, ladies, to the bank tellers. Um, so he stays back and, uh, the other Grofield guys, stays back. Yeah, Grofield yeah. stays back and then, uh, the other guys run into the elevator. So Grofield is staying back and then the next like five or six pages are just him like flirting so hardcore with this girl, dude. And, uh, and I love it. Like he's like talking with her and stuff and this is right at first and she starts crying and she says, I'm so sorry. It's just my nerves. And then the next panel, you see the music playing behind him because he's like, uh, knows that you know that that's gonna be the this next part of the story for him is gonna be a good one. So yeah, so he just hangs back and eventually 
um, is screwing her under the table, dude, while they're like waiting for the heist to go down. Yeah, it's you could, yeah, that's funny. Um, so then uh, they start uh, get it shows them kind of like at the safes, a bunch of different spots, and like it's like actual go. So um, yeah, so they're starting to do that. Um, then the kid named Eddie Wheeler runs. So they have a curfew in this town. That was the other good thing about this town. It's like after 10 p.m. there's a curfew, so nobody's gonna be out on the streets. So that's why this was like such a like science fiction heist, is what he called it, because it's just so like perfect. Uh, but this one kid was sleeping over with his girlfriend, slept too long, woke up at 1 a.m. and is running home, and then he sees uh, some crap going down. So he calls the cops. This kid does, not knowing that. Uh, the cops are already compromised. So Parker shows up and um, ties the kid up and uh, duct tapes. Yeah, duct tapes his mouth. So, um, which is what they've been doing to everybody. So now it's 1 a.m. Uh, so, no, now it's 2 a.m. Right. And they're, yep, they're just going in and out of the department stores, the banks, everywhere, just loading up. And this double splash is pretty cool. Um, it, sh- it has like big arrows like showing where each guy is like what they're doing and like what location uh, they can be found in. Like Parker's driving around in a cop car um, kind of watching it. Uh, it's really pretty. It's The cool thing is, is because it's nighttime and again like Spencer was talking about earlier like the orange is used to show like street lights. Um, so where the light is coming from, uh, on the sidewalk, on the sidewalks. But if you look above the canyon, it's completely pitch black. Um, it's just a really cool composition. So it's all going perfect. Um, but it wouldn't be a Parker book if it stayed that way. I swear, dude, Parker needs to get out of this game, dude, because every one of his heists goes bad. There's something that goes wrong in every one of his heists, dude. Yeah. So he needs to get out of that game. Or maybe they just don't tell the stories of the ones that went perfectly, but it seems like his record isn't too good, dude. So, um, that Edgar's guy, you remember him? The guy yeah. that, uh, that Parker didn't trust this whole thing together. Yeah. Yep. He goes off the wall. He loses his freaking mind and <clears throat> starts chucking grenades and trying to burn down the entire city. Well, it's like he's got a vendetta against them or something. Yeah, you think that maybe there's some reason yeah. behind this. Right. Um, but dude, he's just throwing grenades everywhere. And that's when we see a double plate splash we talked about earlier. Um, that's so awesome. Um, this done in just the orange. Um, and he's like almost killing his own crew. He seems to not care. He's just literally just honest. He's a madman on a, like on a rampage air blowing up spree, whatever they call it. Uh, yep. So they're, so now at this point, dude, they know it's, it's gone wrong, dude. So they're trying to get out of there as quick as they can. So they all, uh, they all jumping in the truck and in the car and uh, speed out of the town on the highway that that's out in front of the town. Yep. So um, at this point, um, the dude blew himself up. Um, Edgar's. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so he's gone, but uh, but then um, Grofield shows up with uh, that girl from the bank or whatever, right? I think yeah, she's from the. Uh, isn't she from the switch station? Oh yeah, maybe that's what it was. But yeah, you're right. No, yeah, he shows up with this girl that he was humping during the heist. Yeah. And uh, and Parker says, but he just the first thing he says to Grofield is, "You can bury her down here." Is what he says. So basically, he's like, "You've got to kill her." And that's what is interesting about their relationship too is, is Parker wouldn't listen to anybody else basically, but Grofield convinces Parker that that they don't need to kill her basically right I, I mean he's never fully convinced but he accepts it because Alan is is you know insistent on it and so he does have a certain level of respect for Grofield which is cool so yeah so it's all so there in Parker's mind there's two things Edgar's went crazy now they've got this girl to deal with that who knows if she'll if she'll tell um, but he talks to her and he asks if she knew this Edgar's guy and they find out that he used to be the sheriff of this town, but he was kicked out of office and basically kicked out of town, um, because he was corrupt. He, there was a bunch of stuff that found that they found out. And, and so that's what his vendetta is about. So he's pissed and, uh, and after that, um, it shows them kind of like, looks like like at night it looks like parker's walking back to the two cabins that are up there 
And the next day, um, the sun is shining brightly. They're all together looking at this helicopter that's kind of assessing the scene. And uh, they're all, they all start to kind of argue about uh, what's going on. And, uh, and Paulus is like, I'm, I'm innocent. And they're like, no, you're not, dude. Like, you had something to do with this. And Parker lo- looks like he's trying to sleep and someone goes to wake him up. Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> yep. So, uh, basically they find in the middle of the night that Paulus has taken off. Cause he's, the main thing about Paulus is he's, um, he's worried that since this all went bad, that he's going to end up going to jail. Um, and he wants to get his take and get out of there that night. And they were all saying that they should wait till the next day. Well, everybody goes to sleep. They would find out in the middle of the night that Paulus has taken off. And um, he's running out with his uh, with his money. But then he um, they stop him on that big steep road that gets out of the uh, up the cliffs. Where the truck couldn't travel. Yeah, they, they stop him. And um, then he tries reversing back down the hill. When they stop him, and he accidentally goes off of the hill, dude's dead. He tries to jump out of the car, and instead the car falls, explodes, and he dies with the the car blowing up at the bottom. Yeah. So um, they all uh, walk away with their take, just over thirty thousand apiece, um, which is better than what they were gonna get because there was two less people now. Um, but uh, the. So Parker's thinking a lot about the girl that Grofield um, got, and he's, he almost talks about him, like, basically, like, he's jealous of Grofield that he has, like, a woman. And it's interesting because Parker has been all business up till now, but it's the next day after they split their take, you can see he's calming down because he's starting to think of other things besides um, the, the score itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so then um, because of that, where does he go, man? He goes to Edgar's woman. Yep. Or the girl that was like banging Edgar or whatever. She's like, Where Edgar? And he's like, He died. Open a window. Yeah, yeah. He's being like a actually total like uh asshole. He's treating yeah. her like a like like garbage basically, but um She doesn't care though. That's how they were back in the fifties, dude. It's oh like, yeah. Because he was trying to be a badass at this point, right? That's why he's treating her like that. Yep. Because he's trying to be a badass. So she's eating it up, dude. She's oh, loving yeah. it, man. And then the last, uh, so then they're like talking a little bit. He's like, let's like, take a plane to Miami. Do you like it? She's like, I don't know. I've never been there. Um, and so then they talk about the windows some more. And then the last page, she opens up her robe and like kind of gets on her tiptoes. And then the last words are butterfly, said Parker. Sure. And that's in relation to a conversation they had the page before. But um, <clears throat> yeah, I like it, dude. I'm losing my voice. Um, I we love Darwin Cook, man. His stuff. Why do you love him so much, dude? I just I I've always really liked his art style. Um, and uh, I mean, like you said, he doesn't really have a specific art style, but I mean, he kind of does. But he can't change his style when he wants to. But right, he does He's, have a basic style that's in every one of his other styles. I just feel like um the way he tells stories with with no words um just shows what kind of talent he has and i just i i just always ever since uh new frontier i, I guess was when i was first exposed to him and i just loved it and then i ser- searched out other things that he did and kept buying up stuff that that he produced so um like <clears throat> this book one of the best things about this book is just the, the way um he's positioned things he's like a director basically of a movie would do right like they choose the angles for the shots and things. And his angles are just so perfect for storytelling. He's one of the, I would say he's one of the best storytellers, like you were saying. Just because, like, you feel like you're there. You know, a lot of people, it's like one panel to the next panel. It doesn't even look like they're in the same room anymore because it didn't have a background in this panel or something. And then it does have a background in this panel. But he really sets the scene for basically wherever they're at. And, and, it has the most dynamic like angles to his uh, drawings, right? And I also feel like, um, you know, you could you could feel the love he has for this, like, I and I don't know I don't know what his his view is on on Parker necessarily, but I like reading it. I feel like you could feel that he loves this type of story, just because of like the time he took to create this thing, 
oh, yeah, the thought sure. process that went into adapting it. Yeah, for sure. No, he definitely, he definitely loved this stuff, and he was a huge fan. So that's why he did this stuff. And and honestly, like, it's cool because <clears throat> if you're working in mainstream comics, you're drawing somebody else's characters anyway, right? So this is like he's doing the same kind of thing as if he was working for DC or whatever, but he's do he's doing adapting instead of adapting Batman or whatever or Justice League. He's adapting um, Parker, so, um, and I would think that you would kind of have to love it to do it that much, as, as much as he was doing, because he was doing everything, basically. I mean, he didn't write it, but um, he had to format how the wording and stuff went, and then lay out the entire thing, so this is all him. Right, well, and, and also, I mean, the story, I'm sure, you know, he had to pick and choose what he drew and what he kept as uh, as a dialogue. You know, I mean, because I don't think Richard Stark's novel was actually this small. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, just to, I don't know. You can just feel the love he has. And I just, uh, yeah, great uh, great cartoonist, great uh, storyteller. Um, yeah. He started on um, the Batman animated series, dude, before he was really With, into uh, comics. Yeah, uh, Tim. Yeah. Um, Tim. And, yeah, you can definitely feel, like, some of that in his stuff. Uh but dude, I wish I could draw like him, man. Like, I I look at his stuff and I'm just like, I don't even know how you knew to do that. And in this book, the Parker books are pretty simple as far as the actual lines go. There's not a lot of rendering, but it's just like every panel is like could be up on a canvas basically on your house. It's just like that beautiful. So yeah, I love it, dude. And all of these books are good except for Slayground. So you should pick up the first three. <laughs> And then uh, treat yourself to Slayground when you're done with the first three. <laughs> so, um, okay, well, I think that'll do it for us. Thanks. From me and Callie, we'd like to wish you... Uh, the next holiday that's after this show. <laughs> we'd like to wish you the next holiday after this show. Okay. A happy holiday after this show. If you celebrate holidays, you know if that's not Is it thing. happy? I mean, how do you know it's not merry, dude? It could be merry. I don't know. Merry this, merry that. Happy Merry Day, Valentine's Day. Merry, yeah, exactly. Why does Christmas get to be the only one that's merry? I don't know, because it's the best time of the year. So, to to be merry, you, it has to be the top, the best. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Really. All right. Well, there you have it. Um, thanks again, and uh, listen to us and tell your friends. Listen to this episode again. Listen to it a few times. For each listen um, that we get, we give a dollar to... Um, our kids. So <laughs> if you want our kids to have spending money, yeah, listen to this episodes a lot. Goodbye. Bye.